It was the dark days of the American Civil War. As one historian put it, writing of Abraham Lincoln, those who saw the man in privacy only could tell how much he suffered. Hollowed out eyes, deeper wrinkles lighting his face. Dark days. I'm thinking of 1863 and the Confederate Army flush with victory. The cost in human lives was high. The dead counted in the hundreds of thousands on both sides. For Mr. Lincoln, he had lost his own son the year before to an illness. He had grown up reading the King James Bible. After getting more bad news from the war office, he took a small Bible off a reading stand. He laid down on a White House couch and started to read. Turns out he was reading the book of Job. And the woman born a slave observing him said his face was more cheerful. Job, not easy to read, but offering comfort by the end. Welcome to Haven Today. Here it is Friday. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. And we're wrapping up a series today called Great Stories of Grace. It's one of the oldest stories ever told. A man who was blessed by God. He had money, land, and a large family. And he was righteous. But then he lost it all. The story of Job took place thousands of years ago, but it still has so much to say to us today. Most importantly, it shows us how the Lord is with his people in hard times. And whether he gives or whether he takes away, his name is to always be praised. What a great story of grace that I want you to hear in a fresh way. So please, don't go away. After this program, I'd like to invite you to partner with me so that we can keep sharing the greatest story of all time. And as a token of our appreciation for your gift, I want to send you the new book called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It's written by a young pastor outside Chicago, Dane Ortland. He's the grandson of my predecessor on this program, the late Ray Ortland. Dane was hungry to know Jesus better. And his book reveals how he was changed dramatically by learning more about the heart of Christ. Well, I recently asked Dane why he wrote this book, and here's what he told me. The reason I wrote this book is because uh, people must know what Jesus is really like and actually what he feels toward them, not just when they're doing well, but when they're doing poorly, whether morally or when they are in suffering. We need to know that Jesus is almost like a magnet drawn towards us in those times of distress, because that's the Christ given to us in the Gospels. We deeply disbelieve that he's like that, but it's there in black and white on the pages of our Bible. So in this book, I really wanted to bring people into that glorious truth. That's Dane Hortland in Chicago talking about gentle and lowly. We have this book in either the hardback or the audio version read by this pastor. For your gift to Haven Today, you just need to call us in a few minutes at 800-654-2836, 800-65-HAVEN. Or visit our website and hear Dane read from his book or read an excerpt yourself there at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. And now, let's open. Jeremy Camp, you know his name, but he's joined by his wife, Adrienne. 
and a song called Whatever May Come. Whatever I face, whatever the fear, whatever the cost, you always draw near. Whatever the pain, whatever may come, whatever may fall, your love overcomes. Your love overcomes. I will call, I will call upon you. Whatever I face, you are with me. Mr. and Mrs. Jeremy Camp opening this haven today, whatever may come. 
a program called Great Stories of Grace. I'm Charles Morris. Every great story has echoes of the greatest story ever told, and I'm not just talking about stories in the Bible. The greatest movies whisper to us about the gospel as well, if you look hard enough. Redemption, forgiveness, life triumphing over death. These are the themes we love to see in movies, and they're themes the Lord has prepared our hearts to hear. Every great story can give us glimpses of grace. Every great story can prepare us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and all he's done for us. It makes me wonder, what is your story? There is not a believer in this world who doesn't have a great story because there isn't a believer on earth that the Lord hasn't saved from sin and death. If you belong to him, then your story is great, no matter how grim the details. I want to tell you the story of an old farmer who learned this firsthand. He lived a long time ago, before there were towering skyscrapers and floodlights cluttering the night sky, before the stock market and large banks. He had found enormous success building his farm and building his ranch and farming business. If you visited his property... You'd have heard it before you saw it. Thousands of sheep, bulls, and even camels, even some donkeys, not to mention his many employees all working diligently to make sure this property was and stayed successful. He was wealthy for his time beyond imagination. But this rancher farmer was a family man first. He was also a man of prayer. Getting up early in the morning before anyone else, he would ask the Lord to watch over and protect his children. His sons and daughters lived on the compound with him, and they liked to party. Every day they would get together and enjoy the fruits of their father's labor, and the old farmer kept on praying for them. He prayed for their forgiveness just in case they sinned. This old farmer was a family man, and he was an upright man. Every day he was faithful to pray and to give thanks to the Lord for what he had, but that's when it all began to change. He had an enemy, a rival, who spent his days prowling around, searching for vulnerabilities. He knew of the old farmer's success, and he knew of his faith, and this rival was determined to put an end to him. He conspired against him, hiring thieves and violent men to storm the property. Take whatever you want and kill whatever you can't take. By the time it was all over, this old farmer had lost everything. His family was gone. Their houses collapsed in a storm. He lost all his livestock. Even his health was deteriorating. He was left destitute and alone, sick and confused. Only his wife was there, and even she became bitter. But this old farmer only had one thing to say. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through this tragedy, it was his faith that triumphed. The old farmer knew what so many of us have yet to learn. We came into this world with nothing. We leave this world with nothing. But whose hand are we in? When we leave, makes all the difference. If that story sounds familiar, it should be. The story is the story coming out of the opening lines of the book of Job. 
He's one of the most famous people in the Bible, in all the world. But his story is terribly tragic. And yet his story is great because of what he teaches us about life, faith, and how to respond when we are plunged into the darkness of pain. Job's faith-filled confession was not the end of the story. He was visited by three friends, at least that's what they called themselves. At first, Scripture tells us that they sat with Job for an entire week, weeping with him because of everything that had happened to him. They were there to comfort him. They cared about their friend. But when Job began to give his pain a voice, they became uncomfortable. Job 3 may be the darkest chapter in the Old Testament, so full of pain and distress. Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. Job's pain was unbearable. Many of us have lost family members. But few of us have lost our entire family in one fell swoop. Many of us have lost a job, but few of us have lost everything in a moment. Why was this happening? Job had no idea, and the pain of such loss made him wonder if he should have been born in the first place. Many of us may have thought that. Few of us have been so courageous to put it into words like he did. Job knew the Lord. So he cried out to the only one that he knew who would listen. Here's something we learn from Job at this point. Honesty. Job said what was on his heart to the Lord. Sometimes we hesitate to do that because we're afraid of what the Lord might think. But the Lord knows what's on our hearts before we even speak. We can't spend our days obsessing over how we appear, and we need to commit ourselves to living honestly. What Job said offended his friends, but it offended them because they didn't really understand his pain. They went on to lecture Job repeatedly about his suffering, trying to convince him that it was really his fault all these terrible things happened to him. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. Surely God does not reject the one who is blameless. God has even forgotten some of your sin, they said, telling Job it should actually be worse. On and on those lectures went, and Job eventually told his friends they weren't even helping. In fact, they were making his pain even worse. Miserable comforters that they were. They were more interested in proving Job wrong and fitting Job in their narrow understanding of their world where sinners suffer and righteous people get rich and blessed. They weren't really interested in helping Job. And there's something here for us, too. When we see suffering in the world today, where do we go? Is our first impulse to ask what they must have done wrong? Jesus' disciples did that, and they were corrected by their Lord. The man born blind that we meet in John 9, when they saw him, the first question that came to their minds was, who sinned to make this man suffer like this? Well, Jesus reminded them that suffering happens for many reasons. And it's not always a punishment for sin. Job was in pain, and his friends failed him by placing the burden of sin on his shoulders. And Job's story helps us to see more clearly. Yes, his story is tragic. The loss of his family, 
the loss of his livelihood, and the torment inflicted upon his own body. Adding to all of this the insistence of those friends of his that he was at fault for all of it. How is this a great story? Well, it's through the darkness of Job's pain that the Lord meets him. The end of Job's story is not one of despair, but it's one of hope and faith. After hearing for the Lord out of a mighty whirlwind, Job comes to realize something. Quid pro quo is not the way the Lord runs his world. So many places and people in this world that have no way of repaying the Lord, yet he shows them kindness and compassion. The generous love of our God sits at the foundation of the world, and even in our pain we can trust in his goodness. Job's suffering ultimately led him to receiving everything back from the world twofold. Tragedy, humiliation, triumph, glory. Job's story is the story of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the truly innocent one, righteous and upright. He didn't deserve his life of suffering. He didn't deserve the humiliating death on the cross. But from the cross he cried out, Why have you forsaken me? Yet he did it all for us. Through his tragedy, we receive triumph. More than conquerors, because he triumphed over death. Job's story is a great story, because it whispers to us the even greater story, the greatest story, the story that's all about Jesus. That's where we find our greatness, and that's where we find our hope. Why don't you join me now for a moment of prayer? Lord, I've read the book of Job many times. Many of us have. We've all heard the story of Job. It starts out at the beginning and it's all going so well. And then all of those many chapters, too many, it feels like weighing us down as Job loses everything. But he never lost his faith. And it ends better than it began. Lord, that's the same for us. Job is a picture in advance of, of Jesus Christ coming for us. But Lord, this story, this book also tells us about our lives, how we will suffer. We will have pain while living on this earth, even though we can call ourselves righteous. And yet in the end, we get to meet up with our Savior face to face. And we look forward to that now in a day to come. Soon, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I know if you wanted to, you could wave your hand. Spare me this heartache and change your plan. And I know any second you could take my pain away. But even if you don't, I pray. Help me want the healing more than the healing. Help me want the Savior more than the saving. Help me want the giver more than the giving. Oh, help me want you, Jesus, more than anything. You know more than anyone that my flesh is. 
Listening to Haven today and a program called Great Stories of Grace. That was Natalie Grant, and more than anything. Well, I'm thankful you could take time away from your day to day life to hear the story of Job, I hope, in a fresh new way. Haven today is all about the great story, which is all about Jesus, and I would like to send you a new book that will help you better understand the heart of Jesus. It was written by Dane Ortland. The grandfather of his was my predecessor here at Haven Ministries. And the book is called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I wanted to hear what Dane had to say to Christians who are inundated with self-help books and advice. And here was his helpful response. We are hardwired and spring-loaded to be given three steps for this, five ways to download this into your life, seven strategies for a better this or that. And sometimes there's actually some profitable things in that kind of counsel, but that's not the engine to our growth. That's not the heart of it. Jesus said, actually, he mentions rest twice in that passage there at the end of Matthew 11. He says, come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. The Bible is not redundant. It When it repeats things, it's for emphasis. emphasis. We come to Christ <laughs> for rest. And one way to put it, Charles, would be simply this. How do you get to Jesus Christ? How do you get to enjoying his heart? The best English verb is collapse. You collapse down into him. That's a glorious verb because anyone can do that. Mm. <laughs> All you have to do mm. is melt into him. 
This is not let go and let God. This is not any kind of weird theology. It's simply you collapse into his arms and let him love you back into life. Dr. Dane Hortland speaking with me about finding rest in Jesus. This is a theme that comes up a lot in his new book called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Dane told me he wrote this book because he had a deep craving to know Jesus better. And as I read it, it really brought me closer to my Savior, and I believe it will for you as well. But don't take my word for it. Come to our website, haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. Listen to Dane read some of the book, or read an excerpt yourself that we've put on our website. Make your gift to this ministry, and we'll get you either the hardback or the audio version read by the author. You can also call us for Gentle and Lowly at 800-654-2836. 800-65-HAVEN. As a friend of mine says, read this book and you'll understand God's grace in a whole new way. And while you're there on our website, if you could make it there, take a listen to our new podcast called Great Stories. We have a new episode up this week, an interview... I did with the late gospel singer Andre Crouch. It's one of my favorite interviews as we sat around a Steinway grand piano, singing songs and sharing our faith together in Jesus. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you for joining me. Won't you come back again next time when again we'll still be together sharing the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. your encouragement and your walk with Jesus. I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Counterfeit money is getting more and more intricate these days. It's getting to the point an untrained eye can't tell the difference, but the most meticulous eye trained to spot fakes aren't so easily fooled. All it takes is one minor discrepancy, and a counterfeit is identified. That's what it's like in the spiritual realm, too. The untrained eye can't tell the difference between real and fake righteousness. The Lord, on the other hand, not fooled at all. In Matthew 5.20, he says, Unless our righteousness succeeds the Pharisees, we won't enter the kingdom. One in perfection, and we're not welcome. Thankfully, we have Jesus, the perfect one, standing in our place and covering all our imperfections. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit getanchor.com.